0: Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Alright, we're going to start a series today and... Uh... Cool, I got a little time. I was like, man, after all that, I don't know how much time we're going to have. This might be a 15-minute message again. Uh, Man, uh, we're going to start a series today, If My People, all right? And we're going to spend about five weeks on one scripture, and it's 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It says, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Nicole says there's not these if-then statements, and, uh, and uh, on the contrary, I feel that there are some, but it has to come with the right heart. What her heart in that was, that, that it's not these if-thens, if I do this, then I get to earn his love. No, it's not like that. It's if I do this and I have a heart posture to the Father and I know who I am, all of a sudden there's these fringe benefits, there's these covering, there's this love that just invades my heart because I'm coming into intimacy with the Father. So we're going to spend almost five weeks just on this one verse and dissect it and pick it apart and go deep with it. Now, I want to, I want to explain the context of it. Okay, this is a place where, where Solomon, he is dedicating the temple. He's dedicating his temple. He, had, he spent his life on it. He dedicates it. And then, and then all of a sudden, you know, this begins to happen. I believe this is the recipe for the Israelites. So, so here's the thing. In my line of work, I'm a firefighter paramedic. And we have these things called algorithms. If you're in the healthcare industry, there's these algorithms. So if I see on the heart monitor these squiggly lines, it's called ventricular fibrillation. If I see V-fib, that means I get to shock them, all right? It was really cool when we, like, 12 years ago with these old monitors, we actually had paddles. We're like, all right? But now we just have, like, stickers. It's not near as fun. But here's the thing, there's these algorithms and we've been working through these megacodes and, and, and if we see a straight line, it means I'm going to give epinephrine, I'm going to give these medications. If I see this, then I'm going to do this. It's the same thing in computer and software programming. You know, there's these if-then statements. Anybody take a C++, C++ class and back in the day? Yeah. So, so there's these if-thens and then all of a sudden that becomes a programming language. Well, here's what's what's really amazing is this is a recipe, this is an algorithm to the Israelites. Now, I want to put this in context because you see the depth of that verse, and it says stuff like, you know, if you humble yourselves, if you pray and seek my face. Now, they're living in a time that forgiveness of sins comes through a burnt offering, they're living in a time where if they go to the, to, the, to, the, to the tabernacle, and if they go to this place, then the high priest on the day of atonement can go to the Holy of Holies and offer up a sacrifice on their behalf, and then they can get forgiveness of sins. So these are kind of the times that they're living in. But here what the Lord is doing is he's shifting a paradigm before Christ. This is before Jesus came in to intervene and actually say, no, you can come directly to me. The veil's been torn, heaven and earth. So I'm proposing that God actually shift a paradigm. And this is one of the most quoted Old Testament verses. And here's what I think why. Because God was shifting a paradigm saying, no, you can come to me. He's he's, he's proclaiming it, but he's also prophesying it through 2 Chronicles 7.14. So so let's, let's just go to one more part here. Okay, so he's saying... In verse 11, it says, Thus Solomon, and we're going to read 11 through 16 and we'll launch. Verses 11 through 16 Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and his own house, he successfully accomplished. Everybody say, My own house. Verse 12, then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. And then it says this, verse 14, if my people humble themselves. If my people humble themselves. That's the only part we're going to focus on today. It says this, Who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all the time. Now, now here's, let me give you the context. So David had this dream to build the tabernacle, right? He had this dream to do this thing, and here's what happened. The Lord shows up to a prophet and says, David, you're, you're not actually going to do it. You're not, gonna, you're not the right man. Now many of us would say in our theology or in our upbringing that, well, David was probably being punished by God because he messed up. He fell to Bathsheba and fell into adultery, and when kings were supposed to be off at war, he was lusting on the rooftops, but here's actually what I want to propose, it wasn't just that, it was, listen, David, you're good at a slingshot, you've been good with a sword, you're even good with a crown, but you're not good with a hammer. But you're going to bless the next generation who is good with it and is going to take it to another level that way, more beyond what you could do. So what David did the rest of his life is key. It's, he did something that many of us probably wouldn't be willing to do. He gave the rest of his life to set up a next generation for success. David knew he wasn't going to rebuild the tabernacle. The Lord told him this, so what's he do? He lines up the best craftsmen, the best woodworkers, the best best goldsmiths, the provisions, the finances, all of what was needed, and he hands it over to Solomon. Listen, the difference between a son and a father is a father wants to give it all away. The difference between a son and a father is a father wants the son's dreams to come to pass. It doesn't matter about my dream, it's the dream's. Listen, there's a, there's a difference here. So here, Solomon then gets this opportunity. And just for a moment, I want to dwell on verse 11. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. You see, I, I, I want to just focus on a moment here that it's not just about the Lord's house. Listen, this is not my first ministry, <laughs> this is not my, my priority ministry, this is not my first calling. When I made a covenant and I made, when I made vows to Nicole, I was actually taking a vow as a husband to have my first ministry be my wife and my home and now my children, my four daughters. Listen, Paul says it's better to not be married. The reason Paul says that is because Paul's called to be an evangelist and travel the land. He's not saying it's better to not be married than to be married. He's saying it's better to not be married if you're called to travel the earth and minister to the masses in the different regions. So here's the thing. I love that Solomon got it. It wasn't just about dedicating and building up the tabernacle in God's house. It was also, it says that he built his own house and he successfully accomplished it. Listen, the Lord has never asked me or anybody else in here or any other minister in history to sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. He's not asking me to to, to give you all of my time and my family gets the leftovers. No, the Lord is filling me up so much and making me so secure in my identity and filling me up as a son that I get to first pour into my family. And then the overflow is just this. What you see on Sunday mornings, man, it's just an overflow of my heart. It's just what the Lord's speaking to me. And I get to be really, really selfish and let the Lord speak a sermon to me every Sunday and you just get to benefit from it. So here's this, this thing of like, Here's what happens: When we begin to put our own house unto the Lord, God shows up. So Solomon is dedicating his own house and the house of the Lord unto the Lord. And when we begin to put our house unto the Lord, God shows up. If we remember the Ark of the Covenant, some people messed up, some people died, and they had a place to rest. They had to find a place to rest the Ark of the Covenant. So they chose the house of Obed Edom, and it said that he hosted the Ark of the Covenant for three months. Representing, he hosted the presence for three months and it says the Lord blessed him and his entire household. If we just put our house under the Lord, if we host his presence and we put it under the Lord, all of a sudden God shows up. God encounters us and God begins to pour out himself into everything we're into. Then all of a sudden, everything that I touch becomes blessed because I'm a blessing because I'm hosting his presence and I'm putting it under the Lord. Solomon gets this, and it wasn't just about the house of the Lord, it was about his own house. The Bible talks about in in 2 Kings, and also in Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet says, get your house in order. Isaiah 38, 2 Kings 20, says, get your house in order. If we go to Joshua 24, 15, it says, Joshua makes this declaration, he makes this proclamation, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listen, there's something about making a declaration to say, as for me and my house, Christ is going to be number one. As for me and my house, no weapon formed against me will prosper. As for me and my house, we're going to the Lord in prayer. We're putting it at the feet of Jesus, as Nicole was referencing today. And he's going to fight my battles. As for me and my house, my girls are going to grow up knowing the love of the Father. As for me and my house, my girls are going to grow up knowing the power of Holy Spirit. As for me and my house, I'm going to hold myself accountable to the Lord's righteousness and be a holy people as he's promised me to be. Listen, as for me and my house, it's making this declaration, put a stake in the ground and saying, God is number one in my life and he's number one in my house. And when I give it unto the Lord, all of a sudden he shows up. Matthew 12, it says, a divided house can't stand. Listen, that's the Lord. Like, you can't serve two masters. A divided house, can't stand. So when we give our house unto the Lord, he shows up. So that's what happens. Solomon's dedicating the house of the Lord and his own house to the Lord. And God shows up and he makes this promise. In verse 14 we get to, then if my people who are called by my name. We're going to stop right there. Next week we'll talk about humility. But we're going to start right there. If my people who are called by my name. Let me just tell you the depth of that statement. Many of us skip over that to say, well, humility is the first one. No, knowing who you are and whose you are is number one. If my people who are called by my name, listen, what he's saying there, he's referencing Genesis that in our image will make man. Listen, let's go to it. Genesis 1.27 says, so God created man in his own image. It says, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created him. So here's here's what's happening is that God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Father have always all been one. They're one in heaven, and here's what's happening. You know, it even says before the foundations of the earth, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the earth. Listen, Holy Spirit wasn't just poured out on the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit's always been with the Father and Jesus. They're one. It says it was hovering over the earth. Before creation, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the earth. So before creation, before the foundations of the world, you were created in God's image. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus and the Father, they throw this party. And they make Jamal. And they make Matt. And they're like, oh, man, we're going to make Matt so generous. And we're going to make him so passionate. And we're going to make him wired so he's so energetic. And he gets excited about helping people. We're going to take Jackie and give her this angelic voice, this prophetic voice, and this dance of freedom. You know, or, 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 or any of you. Like, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit throws this party. And all of a sudden, your desires, your personality, the way you were formed were before the foundations of the world. He created you. He says that he numbered the hairs that were on your head before you were ever born. He says he called you by name before you were in your mother's womb. You were made in his image. If my people who are called by my name, you were created in the image of God to worship him. And as you're transformed, to begin to look like him again. He made you. He created you. He handcrafted you with craftsmanship and creativity and an artistic ability. And he made Kenny a little darker than the rest of us. And he made Nicole a little paler than the rest of us. Thank God for spray tan. Thumbs up on that. It's an inside joke. She did the spray tan this week. She forgot how to stand. And like one side of her thumb got orange. So we're like, thumbs up, Nicole. <laughs> it's all right. It's okay to treat yourself. So here's the deal. He created us all different. And we go to 1 John 3.1. And here's, here's where we'll land for just quite a bit here. And we'll, we'll kind of close with the same thing. 1 John 3.1, it says this. It says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his own children, His own children, and that is what we are. See what love the Father lavishes on us, for we're his very own children, we're his craftsmanship. And it says this, I love that, that is what we are, with an exclamation point, like, boom, emphasis added. And then it says this, but the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Listen, all of a sudden, there's three points to identity. There's three keys, I think, to the acceptance of Christ, to the acceptance of God. And when we know God accepts us, when we know Jesus accepts us, it doesn't matter who rejects us. It doesn't matter who poos on us. It doesn't matter who talks bad about us. It doesn't matter who word curses us or who naysays us. Why? Because God has already gone before us on our behalf. And when we know we're accepted by the King of Kings, it doesn't matter who rejects us. That is what we are. We move on to to the three points I feel is this. Knowing who God is, that's that's the, the, the three keys here to identity, the three keys to acceptance in Christ is knowing who God is, knowing his true nature, knowing that the revelation of God is a good father, knowing that he loves you, knowing that he's your best friend, he's the prince of peace, he's the mighty one, he's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He's the king of kings. So who's that make the royalty and the kings? Us. Listen, if he says he's the father of fathers, then who's the fathers and the mothers? We are. If he's the king of kings, we're the royalty. We're the kings and the queens. Why? Because we're adopted with the spirit of adoption and our heir to the kingdom. We have an heir to the throne in heaven. If we know who we are is the second one. Knowing who we are. Listen, we, I'm, I'm just going to take credit for it. I have no idea who first said it. Leif says it all the time. But this is just, maybe I should just see if it's copyrighted. If not, I will. When you believe in Jesus, you get saved. When you realize he believes in you, you get transformed. When you believe in Jesus, that's salvation. When you believe in Jesus, oh, wow, he's the creator. He's Yahweh. He's, he's Messiah. He's Savior. I'm asking him in my heart. I'm asking for forgiveness. When you believe in him, you get saved. You get the heaven ticket. But when you realize he believes in you and he not only loves you, but he likes you, you get the ticket of heaven inside of you. Listen, that's the difference of knowing that I'm just saved from something, saved, saved to heaven to now saved for something and for someone and for destiny and purpose. The third one is knowing others. Seeing who God is, seeing who yourself is, and seeing who others are. All of a sudden, when the first two line up, you begin to see others in a different light summed up in in the commandments when Jesus is being tricked. What's the greatest? To love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as who? Yourself. So all of a sudden I begin to love God and I see his nature and I begin to see myself different because I get to see now with the glasses of heaven and I get to see the goggles of Jesus to see how he sees myself. And then when I begin to love myself, I can love others, my neighbor, as myself. All of a sudden, my lenses and my perspective and my my outlook on life and situations and people change that it's not a problem any longer. They're promises. (sighs) Isn't this amazing? Romans 8.14 says this. This is just one of my favorite belief changers. This set of scriptures. This probably transformed me more than anything else in my walk with the Lord. And it's the spirit of adoption. It's it's where we can cry out, Abba, Father. And it says this. It says the same thing in Galatians 4. Paul gets it. It says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry out, Abba, Father. Let me just tell you what that translates to today's language. Daddy! Everybody just yell that. Daddy! Daddy! It says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Oh, that messes with people. We are co-heirs of Christ. That If we're children of God and Jesus is a child of God, that, he's kind of like our big brother. We're co-heirs with Christ, and it says this, with Christ. And if deed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Let me, let me just say that, like, sometimes there's tough times. Sometimes there's circumstances and situations that, I'll just be honest with you, stink. They just absolutely stink. But let me just tell you, in those seasons, they're usually our greatest growth seasons, they're usually the greatest times we, we, we grow, and, and those are the sufferings because we grow from them. James 1, 2 says, count it all joy the trials you go through. And it goes on to say, because it's building your character, it's building your faith, it's building your perseverance. So sometimes that junk that we go through is to build us up. But not, listen, that's the, that's the bad news. <laughs> but it's actually even good news in that. But the good news is that we get to rejoice in the glory of the Lord. We don't just have to dwell on the death. We get to dwell on the resurrection and live in life eternally. Christ in us, what? The hope of glory. Let me me wrap this up here. Jesus, I want to tell you a story. And this is just talking about identity. Listen, our, our history doesn't define us. I love seeing the guys from the Joshua house here. I just love it. You guys fuel me. You make it worthwhile. Like, there's guys in here that have stories. There's ladies in here that have stories. How many have a story in here? To see the hunger and the passion in our worship and the shout and the yell. Oh, my gosh. Man, if we only knew what was behind the shout. Our history doesn't define us. Our destiny does. Listen, it's not about the word curses, your generational curses. Christ freed you once and for all, and he made us all a new creation. He made us all new creatures that we don't have to dwell in the old nature. We get to dwell in the new. Sometimes I have to remind my dead self that he's dead, and he needs to stay dead. So we, we go to this story about Jesus in the Bible, and he's, he's, he's approaching John the Baptist, and they're at the Jordan River, and, and, and Jesus is saying, John, you need to baptize me, right? He's John the Baptist. And John's like, no, I'm not worthy. I'm not even worthy to wear your sandals. I can't baptize you. How many have ever tried to argue with Jesus and think your way's a better way and lost? Yep, been there, done that. You're never going to win an argument with Jesus. You're never going to outrun him. You're never going to do it better, okay? So just surrender now. So John surrenders and he baptized Jesus. And I know some of you have not heard this story and and some of you who have, this is just a good reminder today. All of a sudden he goes down in the river and comes back up. Now what happens here and what happens in the history of where Jesus is is what's, what's, what's a paramount here. So here's what's happening. Jesus lived to be about 33 years before going to the cross. At this point in time at his baptism, he was roughly 30 years old. So, so the heavens open up. He comes out of the water. Heavens open up. A dove comes and rests on Jesus. Did you know that Holy Spirit's looking for a habitation, not a visitation? Pigeons come and go, and pigeon religion comes and goes, and it leaves a mess everywhere it goes. But the dove comes to rest, and the dove's representing the Holy Spirit, that the Lord is looking for habitation. We're, we, are, we are a worship center because our first ministry is unto the Lord. Our first ministry here is Jesus. We're going to lift up Jesus, and we're going to plant him in the center, and then whatever else happens after that, Cool. We're planning Jesus. Why? We want habitation. We want a movement, not a, not, a, not, a, not a system, not an organization, not a denomination. We want a movement, and we want a habitation of his presence. We don't want just a visitation. It gets messy for all of us. But then here's what the Father says. He says, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, I want to break that down for you, that, that it's, not, it's not what we do that makes us who we are. It's who we are that makes us do what we do. father's saying this this is my beloved son with whom i'm well pleased the father's so pleased with you just for being we're human beings not human doings and here's the thing he's saying this is my beloved son with whom i'm well pleased listen jesus hadn't preached the sermon on the mount he hadn't healed the blind eyes he hadn't opened deaf ears yet he hadn't raised the dead he hadn't cast demons out he obviously hadn't died on the cross yet he hadn't done anything He was simply the son of God. And for absolutely doing nothing but just being his child, the father was so proud. This is my beloved son. You are his beloved son. You are his beloved daughter. You are. You are. Listen, you are here today because he loves you. You made it here today. You succeeded already today. You made it. You're here. You've arrived. Now we just get to get more of the more. Like you're his beloved son and daughter, his beloved child, his beloved prince and princess, and he's absolutely wild and crazy about you. He not only loves you, he likes you. That's your identity. Your identity is being a child of God. Your identity is just getting to be, listen, on my, on my tombstone, I don't want lieutenant. I don't want pastor. I don't want even dad or husband. I want like beloved child of God. I want lover of God. Like those are the things I want because my identity comes from that. And guess what? All of a sudden when I'm full up of his love, when I'm full up of his spirit and power, and I'm all in and I know who I am and I know whose I am, all of a sudden I'm this amazing man at work. I'm this amazing husband. I'm this amazing dad. I'm this amazing friend. All that is birthed from being a child first. (sighs) I don't have to do any of that. I get to. Once I'm a child of God. Otherwise, it's just a burden and it's, it's weight, it's heavy. Man, I get to just, it's not my problem. I just get to be a little kid with a great big dad. It's not my problem to change people. It's not my job to convict people. It's not my job to worry about that. <laughs> I just get to be a little boy with a great big giant fun dad. Let me, let me can carry on with this last story. The, somebody can just come and play it. doesn't matter. There's a story about the prodigal son. Sometimes it's in our pit. It's in our mess. It's in our issue where the Lord begins to strip us and allow us the season of building, allow us the season of recognition. I'm not saying he punishes. That's not in my theology that God will punish or God will withhold just to see what I'm going to do. He's not, he's not this, this vengeant, angry God. He's a loving, kind father. A woman with the issue of blood, it was within her issue. She recognized the me- need for a miracle, pressed into it, and got total deliverance and healing. Twelve years of seeking doctors, twelve years of seeking professional help, twelve years caught in a menstrual cycle not being able to reproduce, and everybody was labeling her woman with the issue of blood. The title in our Bible is still woman with the issue of blood, but guess what? She was healed, and the Bible says that Jesus' says, daughter, go, your faith has made you well. God always calls us by our identity. God always recognizes us by our identity, and God always calls forth of who we're supposed to be, not what others are saying about us and saying what they think we should be. Daughter, your faith has made you well. She's not a woman with the issue of blood anymore. She was healed, delivered, set free, and sent. That's what God's saying about us. Your your issues, your past circumstance, your past sin, your number in the court system, it doesn't define you. The Lord defines you. Listen, when they teach tellers and, and people that work with physical money a lot, what they do is they send thousands of bills of currency and they have them study them and sort through them over and over and over and over. They never give them a counterfeit bill. Because here's why, when you know the real thing, when the fake thing comes along, it's not gonna mess you up because you know the real thing. When you know the affirmation from the Father, the fake thing isn't gonna mess you up because you know the real, real thing, you know the truth. Listen, the Lord is speaking truth in this place today. The Lord is speaking truth about your identity. The Lord is speaking truth about who you really are it's not what your boss said you were it wasn't what your big brother or sister said you were It wasn't your parent that abandoned you who said you were so the lord is speaking the truth so when you know the counterfeit and the lie listen we speak truth to our daughters all the time you're amazing you're loved you're precious you're beautiful you're smart you're god's favorite one Those are the things we constantly repeat to our daughters. Why? Because when they face high school, or they face a boyfriend, or they face life, or they face a job situation, somebody may try to tell them somebody they're not. But guess what? Their daddy and their mommy and their daddy in heaven has been telling them all these years of who they really are. So when the counterfeit comes, they're not going to believe it. Why? Because if my people who are called by my name will know, they'll know, you'll know. You study the truth long enough, you're going to know who you really are. And when you know Jesus accepts you, no one can reject you. This is fire. This is good stuff. I'm going to finish with this story. The Bible talks about this story. Jesus is telling this story this prodigal and this, it's a story of two brothers actually we often leave out the other brother and it's a story of a prodigal and he goes to the father and he asks for his inheritance he asks for all of, his, all of his inheritance early and he takes it and he goes and he spends it on what the bible says he quotes riotous living and in today's day and age that would be similar to heroin and crack and meth and, and prostitutes and alcohol and just this crazy life I've been there many of you have been there You've spent part of you, what, it was, what, what the enemy meant for your inheritance on riotous living, but God had us a different plan. God had a different plan. It says he's in the hog pen. The whole other time, this this brother, he's at the house still. And he's working. He's earning. He's helping dad out. And the, the brother, it says that he's in the hog pen, and in the Jewish culture, they couldn't eat pork. They don't eat pork. And it says that he was in the hog pen, and that he was eating the waste and the things the pigs wouldn't even eat. And it says that he came to himself. Another version says that he came to his senses. Here's what I believe happened. I believe the Father adopted him with the spirit of adoption. And in that moment of his mess, in that moment, in that dirt, in that hog pen, in his circumstance, in his issue, all of a sudden he came to his design, divine, created self. And I believe he had this revelation of the Father's love. And then it says he returned to the Father's house. And the whole time he's rehearsing, he's, what am I going to say? Now let me get to the jewish custom called the kazaza and in this thing if a son had taken his inheritance early he would and if he tried to return to the house only the mom could go greet him at the gate send him off forever with a kiss and a goodbye now here's what jesus does here's what the father does and here's how crazy he is about us he's telling this story to us in the bible the son comes back and it says that the father saw him from afar It says in the Word, the Bible says, the Father saw him from afar, and he ran, and he pursued, and he ran after him, and he greeted him with a hug. Now, here's what I believe the posture of Christ was on the cross. I believe he was opened up for this hug to embrace each one of us into eternity. So the father does this, he he breaks every culture that the mom should have been greeting him. He lifts up his garment in order to run, which is a a no-no in that culture. And then he runs, can't run in that culture. And he pursues, he said he saw him from afar and he ran after him and he gave him this hug. And then he begins to celebrate him. Listen, he wraps this robe around him. That is significant in his royalty. He was being covered with the Father's love. He was being covered in identity with this royalty. He begins to celebrate and he begins to say, get the fatted calf ready. Listen, that was the filet mignon. That's the prime rib. That's the prized possession of the family. That's like we're throwing a party and there's no greater celebration this. he gets the best gift of the house. And then we go back to the sandals of John the Baptist saying he wasn't worthy of it. And now suddenly Jesus is telling a story of how he puts the sandals on the sun, bring the sandals bring them out, sandals are always meant for you to be commissioned, to be sent to go to your purpose and fulfill your destiny what greater way than with your robe of identity Here's the other thing, That the the last thing I'll talk about is the the insignia ring it takes the ring this is so revelation, so much revelation, this is heavy, heavy here takes that insignia ring now many of us think oh that was just a sign of covenant that was just a sign of of royalty no listen the insignia ring actually had the family emblem on it it had the family crest on it and it was the signature of the family if you were going to do a transaction a land transaction and a livestock transaction you would actually dip your ring in, in ink and then stamp it as a seal of your signature in authority listen he gave him the name of the family we get to take on the name of Christ in the family created in his image. If my people who are called by my name, we get the name of Jesus put on us, clothed over us through the spirit of adoption. We're, we're an heir to the throne. Listen, that's the family seal. That's the mark of the sign of sonship. That's the mark of the family. That's the name of Jesus. Meanwhile, now this was the orphan that left and he came back free as a son. Then meanwhile you have the son in the house who's, who says this, he, he doesn't even feel worthy to go in the house when they're throwing this party and he serves, he sends a servant in to ask on his behalf, what's happening, what's going on? And he begins to find out, he says to his dad, he says, man, here I've been in the house serving you, working hard all these years, earning, your, your other son leaves and takes everything that was ours. And I've been here working hard. Listen, some of us, we maybe feel like we're in the hog pen and we're not worthy and we're, we're insignificant, we don't belong. Or maybe some of us are over here saying, well, if I strive or earn or, 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 or do more, God will love me more. This is the spirit of religion. That's the spirit of rebellion. That's the orphan spirit. This is the slave mentality. And he says he won't leave us as orphans. He'll come to us. He also promises us that we're no longer a slave, but we're adopted with the spirit of adoption. So now we get to both come into this realm. He's like, listen, and he says to the son, my son, your brother was lost, but now he's found. He was lost in the identity he was always created for, and he went to the hog pen, got in a mess. God wasn't afraid to dig in our mess, to bring him back to the heart of the father with new identity and throwing a party. Won't you stand with me? If my people were called by my name, and if you get this, if I could teach this one thing, after salvation and after the importance of Christ in our heart and, and, and encounters with his presence, after that, if I could if I could just get and still impart this into every believer, every young person, identity and knowing who and whose they are, nothing would ever shake them, nothing would ever tempt them, nothing would ever take them off track or off course. Why? Because none of that matters anyway because I know the heart of the Father and I know I'm his favorite son and I know he loves me and I know he gave himself for me, and he calls me things like chosen people. He calls me things like more than a conqueror. He calls me a royal priesthood. He calls me a holy nation. He calls me a chosen generation. Those are the things my dad says about me, and those are things that my dad says about you. You're his favorite one. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're his prince. You're his princess, and you're called to royalty with an heir to the throne. This is so good. <laughs> Whew. I told 9 a.m., I want to play this to myself through the night on repeat to remind me over and over how much God is crazy about me and what he really says about me. This is a message for me in my heart. This is like my staple message, identity, man. This is it. Some of you have been here for 10 years. You've probably heard this three or four times versions of it. But it never gets old. Why? Because it's always good to hear what the Father is breathing and saying about you never gets old to me, it never gets old preaching this message, if my people who are called by my name man, if we only get this, the unstoppable power that we are the immovable force that we are the steadfast whew, wow, sky is the limit folks oh. alright, I'd love to pray for you and then uh, do a little prophetic activation to dismiss just hold your hands out Lord, I just ask right now for the spirit of adoption to just flow in here right now. Like liquid love. Acceptance, Lord. Your love just pour out in the way of spirit of adoption right now. Holy Spirit, adopt right now. Adopt us with your very nature, your very unconditional love, your mercy and your grace right now. Pray for identity as sons and daughters. Right now, spirit of adoption, Come. forth our destiny let us come to ourselves let us come to our senses right now adopt us with the spirit of your adoption just feel the love of the father just feel the love of the father I want you to picture him just smiling over you embracing you celebrating you running after you